0: listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy Seven and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome in everyone to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is going to be, uh, I believe, episode 135. We've had a pretty awesome off-season thus far. Uh, My name is Blake Murphy. I'm on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. We're going to be your complete cards coverage. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the venerable Johnny Venerable. And, John, we get to talk about a Cardinals uh, move at least that has a cornerback that has some moves that are made as well as talk about the san francisco 49ers making a big draft day trade-up uh, but most of this episode is going to focus on the upcoming draft and we are excited to be able to kick off that part of the season again different year obviously with no combine amidst the coming out of covid but before we get into all that john how are you doing
1: i'm blake and approaching 2000 views on our two videos that we did so uh appreciate the support blake and i are going to try to do more of those as uh the draft season continues into hopefully next season i know periscope is set to sunset today as we're recording on march 31st but that kind of interaction is, is something that he and i both enjoy doing as is this podcast blake and as we approach Uh, the end of April, which of course marks the NFL draft. It's interesting. The Cardinals have made a couple moves to refine their roster. They're not done yet by all accounts, but we've seen this in the past where Steve Keim, even in years like this where it's completely make or break, you're going for broke, he's trying to firm up the roster as much as possible so that he's not forced to do anything in the draft and lead other teams to believe he's got it to take one specific position and one position that Blake has been sticking out like a sore thumb really since the beginning of free agency has been cornerback you and I have talked about it you know I I think we both got a sense that they were moving on from Patrick Peterson they cut Robert Alford to bring him back on the veteran minimum and then really the only corner that they've invested a a top three pick in recent years was Byron Murphy and, and he's a lock but they've confirmed that he's their nickel corner. So they had two glaring holes at outside corner coming into this free agency period. And it wasn't until really kind of felt like the end of the second wave of free agency that they've added at least one premier outside corner in in Malcolm Butler, Blake. And I know a lot of people on the outside looking in, especially the, those folks who aren't educated, would look at that addition and just say, well, he's not Patrick Peterson. And certainly by name, he's not Patrick Peterson. But if you've watched Patrick as closely as Blake and I have, and I'm guessing many of our fans have, over the past two or three years, especially since his suspension for PEDs, he's just not the same player. Whereas Malcolm Butler's game is not designed in the same way that Patrick's is. He's not overly reliant on his top-end speed and his physical gifts. Um, and Peterson may refine that part of his game as he, as he goes into his, his career with Minnesota. But... You look at his coverage grade from PFF last year, 72, would have been far surpassing that of Kirkpatrick and Peterson. It's the kind of addition on a one-year that makes all the sense in the world. Um, I think they'll end up doubling up and and they'll get somebody uh, equally valuable on the other side because there are still a lot of quality options available as we record this. But Blake, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on the addition of a player that I think we all kind of had our sights set on, but really didn't know how it would play out especially when you consider a reduced salary cap given the pandemic
0: you uh, send out a list of the available cornerbacks that were left over in free agency and it was easy to see that after the likes of malcolm butler and richard sherman there was definitely a drop-off in terms of corners who've been productive corners who at least are able to take on that number one wide receiver assignment and be able to actually uh, deliver on it what was interesting about that signing i think was as some people have mentioned, it happened almost the day after uh, the likes of Patrick Sertana, Alabama, and J.C. Horn, uh, I believe out of South Carolina, both tested extremely well. Makes you wonder if did the Cardinals have their hand forced or did the likes of Malcolm Butler uh, come to an agreement? I think it's a solid move when you're talking about how if, you know, let's take a look at this roster and say that Malcolm Butler signs, you know, a one-year deal with, say, the Rams to be opposite. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey, or any team that needs a corner, maybe even going back to Tennessee, you'd be looking at Richard Sherman and saying, well, we don't really want to change around the defense to fit his strengths. We've seen what Vance Joseph did last year. It was productive enough to buy into that for another season. So after that drop-off, you're going to be having guys coming off of serious injury. And I think what you're talking about as far as an upgrade to Patrick Peterson – um he had over 100 tackles which some people may be concerned about as far as saying hey like is this gonna guy gonna get burned a lot and that's why the tackle numbers are up he also had four interceptions potentially there may be scheme or other assignments that go in but it is also I think remarkable to factor that if you had to say which cornerback is more likely to have 100 tackles on a season Patrick Peterson or Malcolm Butler the answer would at least be hey like Butler, as far as not just willingness to tackle, something that we've kind of critiqued about with Peterson, but also the fact that even if a guy ends up giving up a catch, if he's not giving up yards after that catch, or uh, as we saw in Peterson's case last year, a huge number of penalty yards, then I think that you can at least say, yeah, the Cardinals probably got a bit better in that spot with coverage, and then it frees up where you know, you're know you not saying, hey, we, we desperately need to get a number one cornerback in this draft and then rely on said rookie. Uh, The fact that it was a $3 million contract with $6 million worth of incentives is a plus, and the fact that he's very familiar with University of Phoenix Stadium having that famous interception against Russell Wilson at the end of the Super Bowl for the New England Patriots, and uh, give him credit where it's due. He's still played at a pretty continuous level uh, across his career. For the most part, there hasn't been any type of dips like we've seen with Patrick Peterson. So I think what's interesting, John, is that we've talked a little bit about with Peterson's legacy, and there's been questions about, you know, Butler's wearing number 21 in his new profile picture on Twitter, Patrick Peterson going on the uh, his, his podcast, at least, and this is kind of one of those <laughs> things. Now that Peterson's got that platform, there's always going to be some stories that will come out, surely, from you Know his side and his camp of things, he believes that his number 21 is worthy of being retired. And John, I think the question a lot of people would have is you know, numbers when they get retired are not necessarily for even Hall of Fame caliber players. Like Kurt Warner's 13 is never retired by the Cardinals. They're you're probably even if Carson Palmer gets in, you're probably not going to see that number retired. Even if Peterson ends up being one of those kind of fringe Hall of Famer guys who gets in, which I think you talk to most Cardinals fans right now, John. I think they would disagree with that sentiment. What do you think at least someone even asked a question like, you know, what's P2 smoking over here? What What is he doing to think that that's the case? And I think it continues this narrative for the most part of the Cardinals didn't feel the need to bring back Peterson. We find out that his camp, you know, they said the Cardinals didn't even reach out to him and seemingly reached out and found a guy who was an upgrade. So it just seems to continue this narrative, John, of Peterson being able to talk the talk in a big way, but then ultimately when it comes to walk the walk, it just seems like there's a lot of hot air being blown. And it's kind of a shame considering all that he's done for the Arizona Cardinals. It just has never seemed to live up to the hype and the heights of what seemed to have been advertised with him or even how Peterson advertised himself.
1: Yeah, I, I disagree with with those folks who who use that sentiment. Um, listen, I, I don't I don't believe he should have his number retired because, like you mentioned, I mean it's like they have to be unique situations. Like something in the instance of you know Pat Tillman, Larry, I think will have his number retired. But you mentioned you know Kurt Warner's in the Hall of Fame. He's right now probably the best quarterback in franchise history his number is not getting retired I mean they need for it's a big roster right you got to have available numbers um, Patrick Peterson to me is a hundred percent someone who's going to be in the Cardinal Ring of Honor one day and I think he warrants strong hall of fame consideration and you look back historically at This franchise, specifically since they've been in Arizona, is that there's been a lot of missed first rounders. And for whatever reason, there's animosity with Peterson from the fan base, I think too much in part because he wanted to leave a couple seasons ago when the team was clearly bottoming out and you know, the trade demands and then following that, going right into the PED suspension. Um, which clearly to me looks like a blip. I mean, he's been tested for PED since day one. All NFL players are. I, I, th- I really do believe that was a, a misstep mulligan. Um, and it doesn't affect his legacy for me. And also, I mean, he's 30 years old. His play is going to drop off because he's 30 years old. Um, and his game was always predicated on speed and athleticism. I, that's not to say he's not instinctually great, but unlike somebody like Richard Sherman, who came in the league and was very refined with his technique. I mean, it took Patrick a little while. I mean, he was in the lockdown corner his first year. I mean, his second year, he had seven interceptions and he, and he he really began to put it together. He is the Cardinals best first rounder of the, the 2010s by far. Um, They had a slew of misses that included guys like Dan Williams and Jonathan Cooper And, um, you know, Michael Floyd and whomever you want to include in that list. He's the best of this of this decade. And I don't really think there's a close second. So I get frustrated when I hear fans dismiss his contributions to the franchise. And I do believe had he been a part of a more competent organization at times and certainly a bigger brand, he would have stronger Hall of Fame credentials than he has currently. And I think, unfortunately, that's going to plague somebody like Chandler Jones. I could be wrong, but I I just think we have to be realistic with this franchise. They're not the Packers or the Steelers or even the Cowboys, of course, on a national brand. Um, They're the Cardinals, and they're a second or a third-tier franchise in the NFL. And I think, you know, until they reach those heights, we have to certainly celebrate the contributions of a a player like Peterson. And I I do think that he's leaving on on good enough terms that certainly he'll be welcome back. Um, we've tied this conversation, Blake, before off air is Michael Bidwell, unlike his father, loves star players, takes good care of them, knows the contributions that they have. Patrick was a model citizen on on and off the field and was a part of the most successful sustained success that this team's ever had in 2013 to 2015. And even in 2016 and 2017, they were a 500 team. So Mm -hmm. Uh, It's unfortunate when I see folks talk about and dismiss his contributions because their their standard and what they bat in terms of hitting on players in the draft is so low. I mean, it it is so historically low. We talk about every year for a first round pick going to this franchise. Can they even get on the field? Can they play? And here we have Patrick Peterson, who made, I think, like seven consecutive Pro Bowls. From 2011 to 2018, and I know Pro Bowls not the NLBL. He's in the Pro Bowl every year. I mean, they, we would kill to have a, a player make the Pro Bowl three times now in their career with the team. So I just think that he's a Cardinal great, whether you believe that or not. He's, he's going to have you know his name up in the rafters, rightfully so. He's going to have his number retired just because I, I just don't think that that really happens much anymore. But he is a he's a legend for this franchise in the 2010s and should be remembered as such. And I am—I was one of those people in that draft too that I just, they'd taken DRC a few years before. They were okay at corner, not terrible. And I, I thought they should, should have gone a different way at the time. And thank goodness they didn't because he was just a staple for a lot of quality teams and a lot of quality defenses that otherwise wouldn't have, have had success. So I'll remember his time fondly and, and hopefully he will too.
0: Yeah, it's something that's sad, I think, about the uh, the nature of the NFL is, you know, you think of how David Johnson and Patrick Peterson have gone out. It's always a spot where age and performance always catches up with you. There's even players who, like, you know, some people are saying, gosh, like, you know, I love Larry Fitzgerald, but I would prefer to see the team, you know, finally see Christian Kirk in the slot. And that's just part of the picture, at least, of you know, accepting a part of life in that regard. Uh, The thing I think that's interesting when you look at for uh, other NFL national news before we talk a bit about the draft and what the Niners have done, uh, we kind of stumbled on some contract restructures, and some of that at least obviously was overshadowed by the fact that the NFL is going to be having a 17th game this season. That was made official. The Cardinals will be playing the Cleveland Browns. So while you're playing another playoff team, it's interesting to look at the NFC West as – Uh, The entire division is kind of in the same boat. You're going to have the um, division winners, I think, at least for that one are going to be Um, The Steelers, you're going to have them playing against the Rams. You're going to see, you know, Seattle, I believe, is going to be taking on with how the Ravens, the Cardinals against Browns. Then I believe the Niners at least get the Bengals, and that's going to be an interesting uh, case for, and if I'm wrong on that, at least correct me, I haven't got the schedule as far as those corrections in front, but it's all AFC and the home team, so it's not really a true advantage for any of these teams in the NFC West outside of perhaps uh, the Niners getting a lot of guys back and healthy to play a Bengals team, which still seems like they're kind of on the bottom third of the NFL. That was one of the things that broke. It was a little overshadowed by some contract restructures. John you had a listener of the podcast stumbled on to finding some Cap uh, cuts that were made at least, Cardinals suddenly had 15 million in cap space, and it's like, okay, how how'd they get this 11 million? Digging through the cap hit, seems as though Rodney Hudson had a cap hit of only 2.8 million, adding an extra voided year onto the end, so now he's under contract through 2023, but it's kind of a fake year for the most part. There's more money added through the contract all the way to 2025 as an extra voided year. So essentially, what that does is, hey, you're able to make some work get done in free agency. And it isn't an extension for Rodney Hudson so much as he can hit free agency faster. And if the Cardinals are winning some games and he decides, hey, I like this, this is great living in Arizona, we're doing well, I want to be here, uh, there's an easy extension that you can make by simply just, you know, tacking on some more guaranteed money. Immediately after that, Jordan Hicks seemed to renegotiate his contract, taking a pay cut, another $3.5 million in cap space. Uh, Essentially, the first question that people had was, why are they creating all this cap space? And John, I, I kind of looked at where they were, and it seemed very, very possible that, hey, the Cardinals are not necessarily going to be creating a ton of cap room and cap space for a certain player, uh, so much as the fact that they're probably going to be creating more and more of this cap room uh, just to be able to say, hey, we've got the draft coming up, we've got still some veterans we can sign at the minimum. Uh, there's also maybe a couple of teams who may bid on a player or two. If we can pass them up by being able to get a higher uh, a higher at least amount, like someone even said, like, hey, if you are got two teams bidding for the likes of Bell or someone, uh, let's say you got another team that's bidding in on a cornerback cardinals by freeing up some of this cap space could be able to sign in some of these guys as well as be able to get these draft picks in order especially should steve kind trade back get two or three more picks then all of a sudden you actually have room to fit in plus as, as we've talked about john cardinals love having five million dollars in extra space Just in case if players go down, we saw them use that with Dre Kirkpatrick in the past. We saw them use this with Jermaine Gresham in the past. Even the likes of Max Williams and Chris Johnson as training camp type of signings for injuries that have occurred. What are some of your thoughts at least overall? Do you see the Cardinals... Uh, you know more just structuring these contracts to be able to get some space to uh, kind of save up for a rainy day and fill in needs, or do you think that there's maybe more of a splash coming? I'm like, is this kind of the first sign that Fitzgerald may be coming back at a higher price? <laughs> well,
1: here's what I here's what I will say about Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks was given what I've been kind of reading between the lines here, and and been t- tipped off to is he was given the the uh, just impute treatment, <laughs> and uh, that is essentially you need to take a little off the top, take a pay cut uh, based on your production last year. And this is more so like Jor- Jordan had a rough 2020 season. Justin Pugh had a quality 2020 season, but his cap hit was just so big at a position where they could have afforded to go cheaper. Thankfully, both sides worked it out. Jordan Hicks was, if you're into advanced metrics was one of the worst inside linebackers in all football last year. He had a PFF grade of 50.4 and that's really disappointing because you look back at his 2019 and it was solid. I mean, his run defense was 69.1 as opposed to this year his run defense Blake was was almost 30 points below. So whether at 40.4 was he injured, what was going on if he was injured and he toughed it out, you know, kudos to him, but he had a he he had a dismal season last year and you know, you look at his 9 million dollar cap hit pandemic season w- trying to reduce everything, get everybody situated with this 188 million-dollar cap-strap team, and I just think to themselves, they just said, you know, Jordan, we're either going to cut you and you can go see what you can get on the open market, which will not be $6 million, or you can take $6 million, and he took $6 million. He's no more guaranteed money on his on his contract this year or next year. He, he needs to play significantly better, Blake, or I think this this will be his last season in Arizona. I think that's solidified. Um, and we'll see. Tanner LeVallejo signed a two-year contract. I, you know, I think a lot of people would like to see him – Get some snaps in lieu of Jordan Phillips or Jordan Hicks sitting. Um, and we know Isaiah Simmons is hopefully going to be on the field 100% of the time with Devon Kennard parting ways. Um, and then you look at, you know, Rodney Hudson's situation is interesting. Seth Cox, you know, the editor, our buddy at RevengeOfTheBirds.com, mentioned that it's basically like two years, voidable deals on the back end. Basically, he's on the team for the next two years. If they win, he thinks, you know, that he'll sign an extension with the team. If they don't win, he's going to hit the market. Um, so hopefully the Cardinals can convince him to stick around. Um, but I think it's really interesting when you think about like the Cardinals. If you if you do if you believe the Cardinals had a chance to sign Rodney Hudson in free agency, you are out of your mind. He he was dead set on going back to Kansas City or to a true contender, and the Cardinals had to give up a, a pretty penny and a third round pick to get him. So now it's like. You know, they have to court him for the next two years, and the best way to do that is, is to put up W's and have him develop a rapport with Kyler Murray. So, those are the first two things I, I want to say about both those players. But, like you mentioned, Blake, I, I think that we're going to see another addition specifically in the secondary. I think they're going to bring in one more quality outside corner that's going to compete. Um, with a rookie, whether it's a first or second round rookie at corner. Um, that could be Breland. I think it's going to be an upgrade over what we saw last year in Drake Kirkpatrick. A lot of people have been asking me, is it going to be Kirkpatrick? That, to me, feels like, in addition, they would make after the draft for close to the vet minimum. No one's in a hurry to sign Drake Kirkpatrick. You're seeing a lot of ex-Cardinals last year that aren't really getting picked up quickly. Devondre Campbell hasn't signed with anybody. I mean, just, it goes to show you that their, their trouble spots last year are not going to be Greener pastures with other teams. And I think the Jordan Hicks situation today kind of solidified that. So I would think that they're going to sign one more quality corner. There are so many available left. And they could go big game hunting. I mean, it would not shock me if they could get somebody like Quentin Dunbar, who's supposedly scheduled to visit next week, or somebody like Richard Sherman, that type of player, because nobody is signing, and this is something important to remember for our listeners, no, no one is signing multi-year deals at this point. That's that's done. That was for the marquee free agents that, that bled for the first like ten to fourteen days. And now it's everybody's taking a one year deal. It just depends on what's what your guaranteed salary for this year. And are you hoping, of course, to hit the market next year? when the cap is supposed to spike up like 30 million dollars so everybody is realistic at this point and everybody is fair game we've talked about could they add a free agent running back i I don't think they're going to add a a back for anything above the vet minimum i could be totally off base i just i don't see it happening or close to it with incentives laid in like if x player rushes for a thousand yards starts you know 10 plus games sure but i mean for the most part, the base salary for any any running back that comes in to compete with Chase Edmonds and a rookie is going to be minimal. And then I think the only other position is tight end. But realistically, like, who are you adding now? You're not adding Zach Ertz. Who are you adding that's going to be financially an impact for you? I don't think it's going to be anything super crazy. So you look at, OK, they've got $15 million. I still expect either a restructure from Devon Kennard, who's due almost $8 million this year, which he's not playing for $8 million. I will go to my grave and say he will not play for $8 million this year, and he's making more than Buda Baker, Justin Pugh, Jordan Hicks, J.J. Watt, A.J. Green. He's not a, he's not a starter right now. I think he'll either restructure, and by restructure he'll take a significant cap uh, or a cut, uh, or they'll just outright cut him, and they'll, and they'll recoup $6 million after June 1st. So then you think about, okay, they're, they're going to have over $20 million. Five to seven will go to the rookie class. Less than that if they don't have a third or fourth-round pick. I think there is one more big free agent addition in the secondary at corner that they'll add, and we'll go and look at that group potentially after the draft. I mean, if you got, and I know we'll talk about the draft here in a second, but like if you're adding Quinton Dunbar with Malcolm Butler, Byron Murphy, and somebody like J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertain or Sante Samuel Jr. at the, you know, in a a trade down scenario, suddenly your your secondary looks significantly more athletic and improved than, than it was in 2020.
0: Uh, already the biggest question at least that you would have of between alfred murphy and the likes of uh, malcolm butler if that ends up being your starting trio and you have a rookie to bring along i think that'll at least be acceptable not optimal Uh, but acceptable. The other thing, at least, that has been pointed out is the Cardinals, as currently constructed, get either a fourth or fifth round compensatory pick uh, from Patrick Peterson signing that deal with the Vikings. Uh, That's something, at least, that I think Steve Keim will wait till after the draft in order to try to protect that. Uh, That's probably one of the biggest reasons why uh, the Cardinals, at least, have been trying not to make anything more than perhaps a vet minimum splashing is if you make too high of one, either that pick could you know, get lower or potentially disappear altogether. Uh, There's a certain time period where you can then sign guys to those, you know, kind time signs where they don't count against the cap for this year. And and that sense, the, you know, contracts aren't guaranteed. That would at least allow for 2022 to be able to say, hey, we gave up a fourth round pick, you know, to get DeAndre Hopkins in addition to everything. We'll get back one of those picks in the future. Uh, The biggest thing, at least John, as we shift to kind of talking about the NFL draft is, and this is where you have to look at what the Cardinals is, A lot of the talk and discussion is who's going to be there at 16, uh, as well as looking at a potentially historic quarterback draft. Uh, Very few people are questioning Trevor Lawrence going as the number one overall pick. And after his pro date, seems that there's a lot of confidence that that number two overall selection, it's likely going to be a quarterback and it's likely going to be... uh, the BYU kid, Todd, I almost said Tyler Wilson. That's that's a throwback from the past from Arkansas. Exactly. No, we're talking about Zach Wilson. Uh, BYU kind of not necessarily a one-year wonder, but essentially showcased. A lot of similar positive traits to the likes of guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, being able to throw off platform, being able to have a super productive year. Uh, There's been a lot of questions people have had about his ability versus higher competition. Very similar, I think, John, to what we heard a lot about Josh Allen in that 2018 draft Uh, The difference, obviously, at least, is you've got a guy who is, you know, at least a two-time national champion in Lawrence, who's started for three years at a high-quality program like Clemson. What we at least saw was after picks one and picks two, there was a lot of questions. Would the Miami Dolphins try to trade back? We saw, ultimately, that was the case. They also then traded back up to pick number six. And the San Francisco 49ers screw over the Carolina Panthers, who, uh, from reports, have sounded desperate to kind of get a new signal caller in for the long term. There's obviously with the Deshaun Watson case, seems like everything on that regard until his financial, I should say, legal troubles are figured out. The financial commitment to the Texans that they made in him, not to say that it looks Daryl Washington esque on the surface, obviously you want to, you know, withhold and see, but it does not look good overall. And so, at least for nothing else, you can just say, all right, 2021, everything with that is on pause. Even if a team trades for him, it seems very unlikely he would be playing this year. So that puts a lot of the spec, I should say, spotlight, John, and the speculation that is who are the Niners going to take? Because that may determine what the Atlanta Falcons do at pick number five. And the closer we get to the draft, the more it does kind of seem that the players that are going to be going in the top 10 are getting more and more solidified. (laughs) There's been a lot of questions and reports about Justin Fields. There's been questions about. Uh, Trey Lance. the one that sticks out, though, has been just the sheer number of people close to the Niners and Kyle Shanahan saying they think that it would be Mac Jones, who is the Alabama kid who has 17 career starts, would be the one going at that pick. Very similar and, you know, not just, you you know, talk about at least for his appearance or anything like that. The style of play even has been compared to the likes of Jimmy Garoppolo. So then, of course, you get into how much of this stuff is real, how much is smokescreen. And we've been through this before, John. When the Cardinals were at the number one pick, we had questions and discussions about, you know, Nick Bosa or and Williams, how much of it was smokescreen, trying to get someone to trade up. At the end of the day, it turned out that there was a lot of fire where that Kyler Murray smoke was. How much of this do you think is capable with the likes of Mac Jones, or are we all overthinking this? And Trey Lance has been the guy. He's always going to be the guy for the Niners at pick three.
1: Yeah, it was refreshing. Kyle Shanahan had one of the more honest press conferences that I remember seeing in, in recent years this week, basically saying, you know, it's true. I was going to go after Kirk Cousins, um, you know, in the past. This basically solidifying like he has a type of quarterback that he believes he can win with. Um, here's my opinion, is that I, I can't believe a Mac Jones pick until I see it at pick three. And I, I don't want to come off dismissive of Mac Jones because he's he's a legitimate NFL prospect. Like he he's not our cup of tea, Blake. I think you and I would be disappointed if the Cardinals were in a position to take a quarterback and took him based on just kind of where the league is right now. Those kind of quarterbacks, typically, if you're not a special athlete and I don't mean like a running quarterback, but like special in the sense that like Justin Herbert's a special athlete, he's not considered a runner. Mac Jones is a clear like throwback pocket passer. And oh, by the way, he played with what's going to be four top 15 receivers. And he played for the best coach in college football, not routinely pressured. You look at a a lot of his highlights, guys are wide open. And I get he's loved by his teammates. He I I guess he's great, you know, on film sessions on the whiteboard, But I just feel like the upside we've seen what the upside is. It's, It's Kirk Cousins. It's at the highest end, it's Matt Ryan, and I don't know if you you, you get anybody that thinks Mac Jones is going to be Matt Ryan out of Boston College. I just think that giving up, let, let me just say this. If they had stuck at pick 12 and taken him, that would have made much more sense, right? And if they want him, they clearly feel like he wouldn't have been there at pick 12. But he Kyle Shanahan even mentioned this as much in his press conference, saying that they felt like they were going to get left at the altar. That's why they did this, right? I think that... You give up three first-round picks and a third to go up and get a quarterback whose ceiling is as limited, in my opinion, as Mac Jones. I just think that's a disastrous move for your franchise, no matter how much we, you know, applaud Kyle Shanahan's ability to, to, to mentor quarterbacks. And clearly, he does have a type. I, I just think that you go up that high because you get, you know, exposed by the Kyler Murrays, the Russell Wilsons every year. They got decimated on Monday Night Football by Buffalo this year against Josh Allen, and, and Shanna had made comments after the game basically saying, you know, you got to have a special quarterback in this league to win. And so I get the sense it's going to be Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I would be ecstatic for the Cardinals prospects if it was Mac Jones, not to say they couldn't win with him. But again, you're just, you're just limited with that kind of quarterback in today's NFL. And it's not like San Francisco. I know they have Trent Williams. They don't have a great offensive line. So I, I just think that... You know, I I I try to avoid the outside noise and I'll just be pleasantly surprised if it's Mac Jones. But I just I don't believe it. Um, I think it'll be Lance or Fields. And then we've got issues if if they do develop, because they're those are two just supremely athletic, gifted individuals. But I think one interesting caveat of this whole thing, this horrific Deshaun Watson situation. And none of us know if he's guilty or not. And we have no idea how this whole situation is going to be played out. But I think it's very obvious our biggest fear, Blake, was pre-allegations Watson going to San Francisco because I, I do believe that would have been a death nail for the Arizona Cardinals. Assuming Russell Wilson stays put, they've never beaten Sean McVay, and now you get Kyle Shanahan with, with Deshaun Watson, you know, 25, 26 years old. I just think that that would have been something I don't, I don't believe the Cardinals could have overcome. Um, they can overcome a rookie quarterback, uh, regardless of who it is, at least next year. But the, the, the Niners gave up three ones and a, and a three, for maybe Mac Jones or a developmental guy from North Dakota State, what would they have been willing to give up? It's clear they would have been willing to give up the house for Deshaun Watson. Those allegations had not come out. They would have been right there to the end of it. Maybe they would have gotten outbid by a Denver or a Carolina. We don't know. But that, that's a, that, that, that was a scary proposition. And I believe, just like you mentioned earlier, Blake, after the pro days for Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn, made maybe the Cardinals pivot to Malcolm Butler. I believe that that the allegations with Watson made Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch completely take the, take the exit and say, okay, we need to go all in with the draft and we have to overwhelm uh, the the dolphins at pick three because we're going to get left out. Um, and clearly Watson's not an option and we can't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's been an interesting like six to eight weeks with this whole thing unfolding. And The last thing I'll say on this, Blake, is that I I do believe they're going to move off of Jimmy G. I think they're going to start a rookie. You can't give up what you give up and bring the number three overall pick in the house, in in the building, and not wrap your arms around him and say, you're our guy. I've seen Kyle Shanahan play rookies before. It's gone fine. Robert Griffin, Johnny Manziel, he's had success with certain players. If you're the Arizona Cardinals, you cannot I repeat, cannot lose to the Niners in the standings with a rookie quarterback. I don't care if it's Justin Fields or whomever. The Niners roster is not that much better than yours. If any, if anything, the Cardinals may have a better roster today. Kyler Murray in his third year should not be losing playoff spots to Justin Fields or Trey Lance or, God forbid, Mac Jones. So I just think that a lot of people just assume San Francisco is going to be in the mix. If you're the Cardinals, you better finish above them in the standings or... This puppy's getting blown up because we know they've got their issues with McVeigh and Russell Wilson and company already. But we got to push San Francisco to the side in 2021. If you're not and you're Arizona, then I think all bets are off at that point.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, John, to look at the pivoting of the NFC West to how. Uh, after years and years where the teams had, you know, Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson, even Carson Palmer coming in, the Rams finally end up doing a huge move up to get Jared Goff added to an elite defense. You kind of have another pivot that after Kyler Murray was added to the division, even though the Cardinals have not been as competitive in the NFC West, you've seen the Rams go out and give up a ton of picks for Stafford, and now you've seen the Niners go out and add their own version of a rookie quarterback and that brings us kind of to the point of you can't just be good in the NFC West. You have to be great because of how competitive it is. This isn't a spot where you're like, you know, the Chicago Bears, you know, they went 8-8 eight and eight and made the playoffs. Their whole staff is coming back for the most part. And like, it's like, oh, we finished ahead of the Lions. We you know finished ahead of the Vikings this year. It's like there's things that are acceptable, but the NFC West really puts a spotlight on that competitiveness. Um, I think at least then I agree with you that – Uh, you know, when you're talking about what makes the most amount of sense, when you're saying, all right, teams are trading up for this player, this prospect. We saw that in 2018. We saw that happen with the Jets moving up. They ended up with Darnold. We saw the Bills moving up with Josh Allen. We've seen in the past, even with other quarterbacks, all of them seem to have the same thing in common. And it's that they at least have a cannon for an arm. And that's one of the things that is truer of Mac Jones. It's not like he's, you know, this, you know, this, you know, Matt Leinart type of guy who doesn't have like, he doesn't have the strongest arm, but he's great. He still does have a exceptional deep ball that he's able to throw. It's the athleticism that's kind of the question. So I agree with you and think that it seems very likely to me, based on what we know, that Atlanta seemingly loved Trey Lance. Niners would have probably had to gotten ahead of them in order to take him. Uh, there's been at least some other fallout that we've seen now with the likes of uh, Jamar Chase and uh, I think it was um, who was it. Um, Yeah, with DeMar Chase and then also with the tight end Kyle Pitts uh, having this, you know, incredible pro days that they put up with the numbers. It seems very likely that some of these guys are going to go early enough, which means some of the other players may not fall as much, even with these quarterbacks going super high. Let's go and talk a bit about just the quarterback class in general, because, you know, some of the questions that are out there, I think, right now, as far as the narrative is, is Trevor Lawrence's generational type quarterback is question number one. Uh, people are looking at whether he's got the size, the arm, the wins. Uh, that's one of the questions that's going to be there is Can he turn around this Jaguars franchise in a way that's similar to what we saw Kyler Murray do over the past couple of years? And he's had arguably more success at the collegiate level than Kyler Murray did for more seasons. Uh, he's also got you know more of that prototypical size to go with it. Zach Wilson, the experience, you know how he plays against non-power five schools putting up huge stats and maybe not looking as good against top defenses. Is that worth taking a number two overall? Uh, You're looking at Trey Lance. We're talking about the comparison to Carson Wentz as a North Dakota State guy. Different type of runner. Probably I'd say he's very similar to Wentz in that regard. Was really excelling from a young freshman type of age we know from uh, one of the guys we have as a niners contact who covers the team said that they've liked trey lance for a while he's like I, I don't know if i can see mac jones it's just the sheer number of people who are just kind of pushing that who are like in the know at industry insiders is a, a bit of a surprise like normally teams are not going to once they trade up to the number three pick be that adamant saying oh yeah like you know they're totally gonna be like you know trying to hide or cover up who they're truly taking to create drama or to, no it's usually if you're picking top three and you know quarterbacks are supposed to go one and two that's not the case what I think is then interesting the question then is why is it that Justin Fields has been kind of slipping out of this you know number two overall quarterback now there's questions about if the Carolina Panthers can sit back and take him at eight some people have wondered if he's got a a lower outside of the first round grade and John it reminds me a lot in terms of when we were going back to that 2019 draft there were people who were like yeah we've got you know. Dwayne Haskins is a pocket passer. I've got him over Kyler Murray. Or people saying that the New York Giants had Daniel Jones as the number one quarterback on their board. What is kind of this perpetual nature that we see in the National Football League of guys like Mac Jones seemingly getting pushed up for one reason or another and then a guy like Fields who, you know, not only did he lose a quarterback competition at Georgia and was moved to Ohio State, like he clearly was the better quarterback after he moved to Ohio State and beat Clemson and Trevor Lawrence just this past year with a phenomenal six-touchdown game. But what is kind of this overall quarterback narrative that we're seeing in the NFL? And some of the positive, at least, that we were seeing from it, John, is if five quarterbacks go ahead of 16, that's 11 superior talents the Cardinals don't need that could be on the board.
1: Yeah, I just think with Fields, I, I think there's a preconceived notion, unfortunately, if you're him, because Haskins was, was such a flame-out, same alma mater. I mean, they're not the same quarterback, but between him and Cardell Jones, that's really what a lot of teams have to go off of. And again, that's not fair. Um, and I, I think the same can be said a little bit with Trey Lance. We just saw Carson Wentz flame out of your alma mater and both big physical players that dominated at a small school. And then Trey Lance hasn't played. I, I just think that... To me, I I don't look at any player, including Zach Wilson, and think that these guys are going to hit this year. Trevor Lawrence, to me, is just he's a generational prospect, and he's in his own category. The rest of these guys, I mean, you look at this group. There's five guys, right? I mean, two of them are going to bust at least, if not three. And we both feel confident that Trevor Lawrence is going to have some kind of success, especially with the infrastructure that they're putting together in Jacksonville. I think that division is weak enough. They've got some talent. I, I think highly of Urban Meyer as a coach. I just think that... Wilson, if he goes to the Jets, that's, that's not a great marriage. Everybody loves Kyle Shanahan, what he's able to do. But I mean, you just, you never know. I mean, it, guys miss on, on quarterbacks all the time and the infrastructure matters, but it also like you, you either can, you can play or you can't. And elite prospects that are taping, taken in the top five that overcome like Cam Newton, like Kyler Murray dis, of dysfunction are worthy of sticking around. And then you see players like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, who are, t- drafted by playoff teams and Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, who have a chance to develop a little bit more because the infrastructure is stronger. I just think that it's, it's more impressive to me when I see a, a, a cam or a Matt Ryan, when he was drafted by the three and 13 Falcons, somebody like that, where they can come in and change a culture. And it's like, is Zach Wilson really going to change the culture of the, of the awful jets at six to 200 pounds soaking wet? I mean, like, I think that's why so many people feel like whomever San Francisco takes, eventually it's going to work out because of Shanahan. And that's, that's fine. I, I do think that their bust potential is limited just because of what Shanahan brings to the table and that like, kudos to them. But like, I don't think we have a ton of, of, of faith. in you know, if a quarterback goes to Carolina or Detroit or Denver, historically, now I just, just kind of be interesting. I, so much of it, so much of it, is predicated on where these kids lie. I think you hit the nail on the head with a, with a bigger point as it relates to the Cardinals and we'll, we'll get back to the talking Cardinals, and not San Francisco, but I think it, it, it bared a conversation, but the Cardinals are in a, in a position now. And I posted this on Twitter on, on Thursday that I, I think the draft starts for them at pick seven uh, with Detroit, just because I feel like, After three quarterbacks go in the top three, I think that we're going to see a run on three players in some kind of order go to Atlanta, Cincinnati and Miami. And I I think they're the three best players in this draft outside of Trevor Lawrence. And that's Penesul, Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. I think we're going to see some kind of an arrangement of those three players going four, five, six after three quarterbacks. And then it's like, okay, between Detroit and New England, that's roughly eight teams ahead of the Cardinals. That's where the, the draft is going to be decided. And I think Steve Keim, Michael Bidwell, Cliff Kingsbury, Adrian Wilson, they all know this now. And so it's like, okay, does Trey Lance and does um, whomever the San Francisco doesn't take basically the other two quarterbacks that San Francisco doesn't take, are they going to go between seven and 15? I think we have a pretty strong inclination that they will, right? With Trey Lance, Mac Jones, or Justin Fields. Like those other two guys are going between when the Cardinals go. I think they're, we're going to see five quarterbacks, especially with a weaker quarterback class next year and a huge drop off after those five. We're going to see five go in the first 15. So then you talk about, okay, so now we're in a position where you've only got roughly seven, six guys now between. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys now between the Cardinals. And the next highest team, which would be, you know, Denver at nine, whomever takes those quarterbacks. I don't know what combination it'll end up being. So you've got seven prospects and it's going to be some kind of combination, Blake, of like Michael Parsons is going to be in there Waddle, Devontae Smith, we assume both Patrick Sertain and JC Horn are going to be in that mix, you know, maybe throwing a couple edge rushers. You look at the tackles and Rashawn Slater um you know could you know somebody like <clears throat> Caleb Farley come back into the mix pay the kid the defensive lineman out of Michigan it's kind of kind of be that mix and match and i i i think that that's a sweet spot for the cardinals for a couple reasons number one is i think steve kime wants to trade down and i think that if if one of the premier corners or receivers isn't there that's his preference but you like you go back to last year's draft right and i don't want to keep harping on on 2019 but it's interesting and i Again, I alluded to this online today. The Cardinals got Isaiah Simmons at pick eight and felt like he was a top three to five to seven talent in this draft. It would be really disheartening if the Cardinals were picking eight in this draft, because I do think after that, the six players we mentioned, there's there's a big fall off. But like you remember last year, it was like, OK, well, the, the Cardinals took um, uh, Isaiah Simmons and that was really kind of the end of like the blue chippers. Right. Then it was like a mix and match of players that we thought could go top 10 or could go like at the end of the 20s or excuse me, the teens. Right. I mean, we saw like C.J. Henderson go right after Arizona. I don't think it would have shocked anybody if C.J. Henderson went 19 instead of nine. C.D. Lamb fell to 17. Jerry Judy fell to 18. Henry Ruggs was the first receiver drafted. Tristan Works was my top tackle. He went 13th. Kinlaw had top 10 talk going into the draft, he went 14. I mean, it was just interesting. Like, we saw, like, uh, Clavon Chason or whomever, that guy from the Jaguars, he had, like, everybody say, he's a freak, he's going to go top 15. He went 20th. So there's going to be guys who we think are just surefire locks to go really high after that initial group of elites, and we have no idea. So that's why I keep saying, like, everybody, when we get messaging on Twitter, Blake, I'm sure you get DMs, it's just like, is it realistic to consider like X player falling to us? And I, I'm going to tell you right now, if their last name is not Suel, Panay Sewell, Pne-sewell, Chase or Pitts, absolutely, is, it is a hundred percent a possibility at pick 16. Patrick Sertain could be there. Caleb Farley, Devontae Smith, Jalen Water, Jalen Waddle, uh, JC Horn, whomever you want to name, even Micah Parsons to some extent One of those players could fall to 16 and it would not surprise me at all because it happens every year and we're, we're in a very good spot. It's kind of damned if you do damned, if you don't like we want the quarterbacks to go high Blake, but if like Mac Jones falls to the Cardinals at pick 16, you know, there are going to be teams in the twenties that are interested, the Patriots, the Steelers with big Ben on his final year of his contract, maybe new Orleans. So it's like, even if, we don't get a run on quarterbacks like we hoped and one or two of them fall to the Cardinals that would still put Steve and company in a very precarious position where they can leverage that for a trade down. So I I think that 16 is typically not a great position to draft. I think this year with these quarterbacks and like clearly the high end talent is identified, the Cardinals are going to be in a good mix to get a quality player either at where they're at or later on in the first round.
0: Absolutely. The biggest thing with Arizona that you have to look at when you're picking at 16 is that expectations are very different as far as when you're talking about top eight last year. You know, we talked about how Cardinals ended up with Isaiah Simmons in a lot of ways because three quarterbacks went before they picked. They had their pick essentially of, you know, an elite right tackle prospect or an elite defensive prospect. They ended up taking Simmons, had him as the higher guy on the board. Uh, the other factor, John, is that a lot of people have said, "All right, well, Steve Kime, why not trade back at least?" And what's tough about that is, you know, it's kind of uh, have your cake and eat it too. You know, if the Cardinals are picking at 16 and they don't see the guy that they want there, all right, just trade back. Well. If there's no one there picking at 16, someone may not be wanting to trade up or give you, you know, a third round pick uh, for one of those extra type of resources. You also don't want to completely bail out of the first round or get low enough where it's like, all right, we traded back here. Now we have to trade back again because we don't like anyone here. We can get into some of the specific players, but I did at least want to set that as kind of the ground rule is... You know, looking at this draft, there's some scenarios where the Cardinals don't see any of the players that they would take at 16 are there. But, like you said, John, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have a potentially really good or even elite player that falls there. here's some guys went back and did a little bit of check with the draft history who've been taken number 16 overall two of those guys for arizona here were we Lee go. sharp and drc so you're like okay these are two stud players for the cardinals when they had them they were never yep. you know uh I don't, I don't remember if sharp made it to the hall of fame necessarily but he was a solid player that they had on the offensive line you see some guys at least for just modern players of marlon humphrey uh, zach martin the guard for the dallas cowboys ryan kerrigan was taken with a 16th pick and then you've got some hall of fame caliber players as well with the likes of jerry rice and troy palomalu obviously are the biggest name so uh, even looking back to the marlon humphrey year you know like, there were some other corners who went ahead of humphrey he went to the baltimore ravens and has developed into one of the better corners in the nfl you could argue maybe some of that is scheme but it's yep. to say hey there's other scenarios that you see where the board just gets totally picked clean for the most part and that's something I think it was gonna I was just going over one of the mock drafts that had this today and I thought this was interesting where you know we get questions like hey like could they trade up for a guy like Pitts could a guy who's one of the Bama receivers fall to them what about one of the cornerbacks who's here like you know here's kind of how this mock draft from CBS went today it had three quarterbacks in the first three picks they had fields going to San Francisco Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase going with the next two. A lot of people are starting to maybe pivot off of the offensive line toward Jamar Chase. Some are even pivoting away from Panay Sewell, the OT, toward Rashawn Slater, who's man, he's just a phenomenal player, at least when you watch him. Doesn't look like he's the kind of guy who's a stronger physical, you know. He's got a big smiling face, glasses, curly hair, and you know, then you watch him on tape, and he just, you know, is pushing Chase Young around in their game. Uh, The one factor that I think affects the Cardinals a lot is the Dolphins and Eagles trade because the Eagles are not out of the wide receiver market or the cornerback market. Those are two very specific spots. Maybe they could go offensive line or edge rusher with their uh, GM having some of the protections, but it would not be shocking to a lot of people if they just kind of sit back and take one of the players who's there. Uh, Javante Smith, Jamar Chase, and Kyle Pitts. A lot of people are pegging those guys in at 4, 5, and 6. This mock also then has Trey Wa- uh, Jalen Waddle and Trey Lance. You're like, okay, so that kind of is, for the most part, a lot of people, depending on what goes on with Waddle or Smith, if another position goes into one of those spots or if someone trades up for the likes of Mac Jones, that kind of seems to be a lot of people's top 10 would be rounded out with Panay Sewell and then with uh, Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn to the Dallas Cowboys all right so it's like okay these are kind of some of these top 10 type of talents makes a lot of sense you still have some players that Cardinals could take well this is where this mock got interesting right off the board you had Rashawn Slater going to the Giants that makes sense JC Horn cornerback Eagles that also makes a lot of sense the wide receivers didn't fall to them and then pick 13 you've got Elijah Vera Tucker going as well as Jalen Phillips going at pick 14 to the Vikings and then the Patriots they've took them with Mac Jones at pick number 15. So the players, they were there at pick 16 for the Cardinals. I'll I'll list them off here. They have Christian Derrissaw, the offensive lineman. They've got Caleb Farley, the cornerback, whom a lot of people are starting to see about maybe slipping out of the first round. You've got the edge rusher, Jason Owe, who is a physical freak but had zero sacks. And then you've got uh, Alex Leatherwood and Tevin Jenkins, the offensive lineman. So you take a look down the list, and then you're like, gosh, like, Okay, the next running back taken is all the way in the 20s with Travis Etienne, and then you look at Rondale Moore and Micah Parsons in the 24, 25, 26. John, in that scenario, I think there's not really any of those players that I would take at 16, and the question then is would a team be willing to trade up for one of those players and I think some of that gets taken away with Mac Jones going at 15 to the New England Patriots maybe if a team says hey we want to jump up ahead at least for the most part like Washington thinks all right maybe for whatever reason the Raiders want to move on from Derek Carr maybe surprise or maybe you know try to make a trade for a quarterback in the future since they couldn't get Deshaun Watson maybe the Chicago Bears try to trade up ahead of Washington to be able to get the likes of Mac Jones. If he's gone to 15, John, that puts you in a really tough scenario for the Cardinals because you're kind of in a no-man's land as far as trading back. And in that scenario, I think you'd probably be looking at Tevin Jenkins, and uh, it's hard to say the Cardinals fans would, like, both pick an offensive lineman and potentially be, you know disappointed it's not the splashiest pick but the other part is it'd be hard to see tevin jenkins starting at right guard without just saying all right cardinals took their next TJ humphreys he sits for a year there it is so i think that's one of the things the cardinals fans you may have to be considering like a lot of hope may go into this pick and you may still not see first round types of aspirations which would be a tough spot for you to get into
1: yeah and i think that that's why so many of us are Pretty blunt when we say that, you know, if they take a running back in the first round, it's not our first choice, but at least we know they're gonna use him and they're gonna be an impact player early and the learning curve is not steep. And I I, I look at scenarios like you just suggested, Blake, and it's like well, can can they afford to take another developmental player specifically up front on the offensive line or potentially you know, force feed another player of Vance Joseph's linebacking core that has to sit. I I do think with the pass rushers, it's easier to have interchangeable players. I think that with regard to, like, inside linebackers and offensive linemen, like, those positions are typically set, and those players rarely leave the field. Like, you want the same starting five offensive linemen throughout the duration of the season. Jordan Hicks and Devon Dre Campbell, as much as they struggled, never came off the field. And so, like, I do think, like— you spell Chandler Jones. You certainly spell Marcus Golden. Um, somebody like Jalen Phillips will will see time next year and will have an opportunity to make an impact. And you can never have too many pass rushers, right? Uh, I just, Alden Smith is a rookie for San Francisco. I, I didn't, I don't think he started on that loaded San Francisco defense and still had like 12 sacks and made the Pro Bowl. So it really just kind of depends on the position. We know now this coaching staff has told us what they'd like from their rookies. If they have a rookie receiver that can make an impact, they will play him. Same with a running back. Those, those guys will play. Kingsbury has shown us he'll play rookies um, offensively. Sean Cooler doesn't want to play young players, right? And unless you're one of the five best and God love him for this, because Kyler Murray was only sacked 27 times last year, that that's what they're going to roll with. And there is no rookie in this class outside of you know the kid from Oregon who's not going to be there that's going to contend on what's now the l- most loaded position group on the team and the best offensive line the Cardinals have had since they moved to Arizona like so that's that's why I just think that that's that's a waste right now for what this team is going for I just and and I don't think there's a Micah Parsons isn't going to be there I just don't think that's realistic to think about okay contending against Jordan Phillips or Jordan Hicks so to me it's just it makes sense to say this is a loaded, class in my opinion at three positions quarterback which they're not, of course not in the market for receiver and corner and if you had to ask me today put my 401 bet my 401k on what position they draft i think it will be one of those two positions corner or receiver <laughs> but if your board is picked clean you cannot reach on a player like tooney from florida or caleb in is bad back at 16 not at 16 and, and consider a success. I, I believe that there are four players you're allowed to consider at that position. If you're Arizona, you, you can consider, of course, Devonte Smith, Jalen Waldo, Patrick Sertain. And now I think JC Horn has absolutely entered that conversation with his combination of tape, his workout, the fact that he's NFL royalty. His father was Joe Horn, famous receiver pro bowler for the new Orleans saints. It's in his DNA. I think those are the big four, in my opinion, that you can absolutely consider and ride home with. If all of those guys are gone and you don't love anybody else and whomever's on the board is not a lock to see time next year, you need to move down by any means necessary. You need to get to the, to the early to mid twenties and get back your third round pick and then some, and then you want to go BPA then that's fine. But at that point, at least you're going to have a better appetite to take somebody like Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, or, or my favorite, Najee Harris. It's going to be easier. Even if you think Najee Harris is not worth a first round pick and you've got him graded as like the 35th player in the draft, you take him 25. No one's going to have a problem with that, right? But if you pass on a premium talent at 16 to take him, that's where we're going to have issues. No one sees Kime doing that. No one needs to be worried about Kime taking a running back at 16. That's not going to happen.
0: But ooh, ooh, is that, is that going to be, is that going to be a name changing type bet, John? Is that going to be one of those changing the ad away from? Oh God. <laughs> I would
1: hope that most of the people that are listening to this podcast were not around for two years ago for that. Um, I, I would be, I think there's a much better chance that Mac Jones is a San Francisco 49er than the Steve kind takes to running back at 16, especially when you can like you can trade down with anybody and get something in return. And I do think, Blake, they're in a prime position with three, I think, three teams in the 20s and technically at 19 with Washington that you're going to be able to recoup a third plus or even in one of the situations a second. Washington and Chicago back to back at 19 and 20. We know they're going to be in the market for a quarterback. We know Chicago's desperate. You're going to be able to get their third round pick if you move back four spots. Pittsburgh at twenty four. The way it shakes out on the trade chart, if you go from sixteen to twenty four, you get their second round pick. That to me for the Cardinals is best case scenario home run. You they love Mac Jones or Trey Lance. They fall inexplicably to pick sixteen. They come up to get him. You're able to trade down, get an early day two pick. That would be so much fun and and re, and just take Najee Harris and run the ball with Najee Harris in twenty twenty one. You're going into day two now with a second rounder, maybe two twos, but certainly a second and a three, and you're feeling much better about your chances to get another starter on top of somebody like Najee. To me, if you're asking me, okay, best case scenario, and we're, we're 30 days out of the draft, what's best case scenario for for John Johnny <laughs> Venerable on the ROTB podcast? Four guys at pick 16. Horn, Sertain, Waddle, Smith, I, I'll put them in order at a later date they get any of those guys at 16, I'll be ecstatic, right? If all those guys are gone, the best case scenario is for this team to trade down, get more picks, and take Najee Harris and and start him from day one.
0: Yeah, looking at some of these areas of the draft, there's, you know, like you mentioned, a team like Washington's, like, okay, what do they have? Well, they've got two third-round picks this year, so you're like, okay, pick number 74, pick 82, that's something that would be helpful. The thing I think that, logically speaking, is if you're going to try to jump up, usually, and this is one thing, remember, with the Cardinals in 2018, they jumped up from pick 15, not because they were afraid of another team taking Josh Rosen, you know, and trading up for behind them they were looking at teams ahead of them that would be potentially taking a quarterback and they were aggressive to move up and sure they got their guy versus wait around I wonder if that means the teams are going to be looking at pick 13 or 14 with the Chargers or the Vikings to try to get ahead of Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Like, can you picture like a draft day type of slide for Justin Fields where he starts sliding down a little bit? You're like, oh, man, if, if he makes it to pick 15, that's that's our guy here. At least not. I don't think Washington would jump up for another Ohio State quarterback, but eh, you, you never know. That will be something that would be interesting. Now, what it would do, obviously, John, is it would push some of that talent down a little bit And let's assume that Belichick is not going to be in the same market for guys which, you know, maybe they go ahead and take one of those corners or a receiver that falls, which would be maybe a bit surprising given the fact that they've drafted quite a few of those guys. They've brought back a second round tender. I think the question that you're going to look at for the most part is when it comes to a best case scenario... It would be, like you said, an elite talent falling to the Cardinals. I think those four are the easy names to hope for as far as, hey, teams are looking at this talent and saying, hey, we could get ourselves an offensive tackle. Looking in that second round, we're going to be able to say we can get a second round speedster versus taking, you know, Jalen Waddle coming off of injury and in the first round. Well, hey, we see, a and this is one of the strengths that I see as well, is it's a very good, it's not like it's... I would say loaded where it's a combination of both top-heavy but also the second-round corners in this class. John, There, there is a lot, I think, of promise looking at where outside of the likes of Horn or outside of the... Um, the uh, who are the guys I was going to say, at least? Uh, Sertan. There's a lot of cornerbacks that will be probably sitting there in round two who you just can't put into round one because of the athleticism. Like, yeah. you look and talk about... Um, I think we had the likes of Aaron yeah, Robinson, say like, Calvin, yeah, Joseph. even if Sante Samuel Jr. is a bit small. We're talking about Cal, yeah, Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, which is a name that's been linked to the Cardinals. We know that one's on Elijah
1: there. Elijah Molden, a kid out of Washington. They love Washington DBs.
0: Yeah, Elijah Molden's a really fun player. Exactly. Like if you're looking at saying the Cardinals in the first round were like, all right, we know we can get our Elijah Molden probably in round number two. We're looking at least at saying, hey, can we go and trade back and get a guy that we like out of Oklahoma and Ohio State and Trey Sermon in round three? Suddenly you're talking about a trade back in the first, at least, and look at who the talent is on the board. Target your cornerback somewhere in that round, and then, you know, you could maybe say, hey, if the running back at least is there, round three, cool. If not, we can probably pivot and look at some of these other players that are there. I think that that's one of the options that Arizona can look at. The biggest question I think as far as for all these spots is what are they going to do at tight end? Because we've talked about wide receiver. We thought about as a depth in the draft, we talked about corner. We've talked about how you can find running backs in round three or four. They may not be, you know, these, Franchise caliber game changers, but they can be at least, you know, solid starters that can, you know, go out and get you your thousand yards and ten touchdowns every year. Tight end is an interesting place considering that when we first were looking at the Cardinals, they were barely running any sort of tight end sets in their game against the Lions. They've since kind of shifted to almost running a lot of 11 or 12 personnel utilizing uh, the likes of Dan Arnold, who's not coming back to the team from last year. We haven't heard anything on the Max Williams front, but you're assuming that. You're probably going to want to try to get at least a player who's going to be able to be of that caliber in the receiving game as Dan Arnold. That's going to be interesting to look at. So, where a lot of Cardinals fans have naturally drifted to then is talking about, all right, well, what if the Cardinals do the opposite of trying to trade back? What if they try to be aggressive and trade up and try to pull away Kyle Pitts from another team? And that's something that Arizona Sports' John Gambadoro is been adamant on that they love him that there's like oh whenever questions about making a bet on it he's kind of like not said oh no i wouldn't bet the mortgage on it he's toyed with the idea and to me it's almost kind of like the scene in Avengers Endgame like oh don't do that don't give me hope and i think part of that is because of the question john is all right you can love a guy have him on your board That was how, you know, the Oakland Raiders felt about Kyler Murray in 2019. It doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily be able to give up picks or be able to get that player, though. What are your thoughts on the Cardinals trading up for the likes of Pitts or, let's say, one of these other elite talents in the draft? Because with the lack of picks that they have, you're talking about giving up similar to Niners packages or the Rams packages of multiple firsts in the future, and you're doing that for a a non-QB.
1: Yeah, first of all, like, it would be the ultimate NFC West raise the stakes kind of move. Um, and I just, I feel like the, the, I would dismiss it any other year, but this year I do feel like there there's just weird stuff going on. And I, I just think that the team is in a position where they could kind of go for broke because they feel like, I don't know that next year their picks should be lower in the twenties. And so if you think about giving up a future first, uh, in Steve Kim's mind and Cliff Kingsbury's mind, that's going to be 25, 26, 27. If everything breaks right this year, I think they'd also probably have to look at a player like, like Kyle picks. Cause I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to see uh, Jamar chase in a, tr- in a trade down scenario. I think he is of the three elite blue chippers. I mentioned, I feel like, I feel like he is the best of those three, and I like Panay Sewell and Kyle Pitts a lot. I just think Jamar Chase's game is so seamless. The learning curve on, off, on the offensive line is, is harder, and I also think that you know tight ends are just devalued because of the position, whereas Pitts is just a uniquely gifted individual where we can kind of dismiss that. Um, the, the trade of what the Atlanta Falcons did for Julio Jones is the only thing I can kind of compare what it would look like for Atlanta gave up. Yeah. Atlanta gave up the 27th overall selection and just their first the following year. So they basically got away with going from 27 to six for Julio. And all they did was give up their, their 2022 first or 2012 first round pick, um, or excuse me, it was a, it was a complete package, but that was the only other first that they had to give up. So they had to give up a lot. The article I I have pulled up right now does not break down the whole thing very well, and it's been so long that nobody has articles about it anymore. But basically, they had to give up their their first round pick among other future like day day two picks. And with Arizona, you're not going that high as compared to what Atlanta had to do. And I, I apologize. I'm trying to do the spur of the moment, but I, I would think for the Cardinals to be able to get it done. With a team like, let's say Atlanta takes, see to me Atlanta's going to take him at four, and so you would have to go and have that discussion with Atlanta. And we just saw San Francisco go from twelve to three. Now we, it was four quarterback, and that price is going to be different. But twelve to three is should theoretically be less expensive than sixteen to four. The Cardinals are not giving up three ones for Kyle Pitts. That is lunacy. Complete, utter chaos. The only way I could potentially see it is that Kyle Pitts gets to maybe like a complete and utter rebuilding team in Detroit at pick seven. The run on quarterbacks is done. They don't like any of the remaining quarterbacks. They're all in. on the-
0: And they could take Pitts too. Like, that's what everyone has said. They could even take him they, as well.
1: Well, they took Hawkinson. They could took, they took Hawkinson. But if they think he's a wide out, that's fine. But if you got to Detroit and you wanted to go up nine picks – I think you could get Detroit to just take your one next year and just say, Hey, we're Detroit. We've got all these ones with, with the Stafford deal and everything else. We're just going to dominate future drafts like Miami's doing. That's the only scenario. And I would, I would be totally okay with it. I, I have no problem with it because I think that it's the kind of win now move. Plus you're getting a premium player, um, that you otherwise wouldn't have access to. And I'm all about like securing blue chippers. The Atlanta Falcons, for what they gave up for Julio Jones, would do that trade 10 times over, and the other teams in that draft would have mirrored the same trade. When you get a player like this...
0: I got the report right, right here, at least for all that, John, what they gave up. the the Wikipedia is super helpful. So they went from 27th overall. They gave up their second and fourth rounder that year. So then they also traded it up and gave up atlanta's first and fourth rounder in the next year see that's not that doesn't even seem like that much it doesn't seem like it's that much and part of that i think is the quarterback tax is getting ridiculous because of the rookie quarterback contract is there right good tax him up so, the thing, at least, like you're saying, is if you're going to be getting, like, let's say this scenario happens undrafted. Let's say that Mac Jones does go at 3 and at M is like, oh, well, we thought that Trey Lance was going to be the guy at 3. We may be able to take him. Then you're talking right. about the Cincinnati Bengals at 5. Suddenly then have the likes to say, hey, like... Do we want to trade back and get more picks, or do we want to, you know, take the guy for Joe Burrow and Kyle Pitts? And that's kind of, I think, one of the things about the realism here is if you are gonna be saying, hey, we're gonna get we've got a team calling and offering, you know, move back to pick 16, moving back now, the funny thing at least for all that is I don't think that you're going to be seeing the Panthers trade up to number five because the Dolphins moving back up to six. They seem to be much more committing to to, uh you may end up looking at that scenario. That's maybe the one scenario. Let's say you say, hey, Bengals, we'll give you our first round pick this year. We'll give you our second round pick, which I think is the crazy part for that this year. And then we'll also trade up all the way up to pick number five to jump the Dolphins to try to get him. I don't see that being a Steve Keim type of move because from what we've seen, John, he's fine with giving up picks for talent, but he loves those first round picks. We have never seen Steve Kime trade out. Of the first round or give up multiple picks to move up in the draft, including his second round. We've seen them give up a third and a fifth for Josh Rosen is the most that they've done. So I think while you're saying, yeah, it would be an aggressive move. I think that the price Arizona would be willing to pay is, hey, we'll give you next year's first. Maybe you throw in uh your you don't have another pick to throw in for the most part from round probably you
1: probably have to give up your two this year as well you have to
0: give up your two this year as well so maybe they'd say hey we can trade up at least over here get up to five we'll give you our first next year and our second next year do you want to have that and i don't see it being quite enough now even if you're coming to trade players or other aspects you would be kind of going essentially all in on this player, and then talking about, you know, when teams go in on an elite talent like that, but said elite talent has issues or bust, suddenly you're looking at a Laramie Tunsil type of situation. I don't think that's going to be the case with Pitts, but I do think that you, for the most part, John, you and I can look at the board and say, like, the odds are much, much more likely that the Cardinals will stay put at 16 or trade down. If they do move up, maybe it would be a spot or two. The fact that they don't have a a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick this year, that's usually what we've talked about, It is the price to move up maybe a couple of pits. Let's say you move up from pick number 16. and You're trying to jump, you know. Let's say LeSean Slater tackle that the Cardinals. We know that they like. A lot of teams like him or may have him as offensive tackle one. Let's say he floats down to the Chargers, and the Chargers are like, yeah, you know, we probably are more of an Elijah Vera Tucker type of thing. He's our guy. Well, Cardinals, maybe you give up a... Third round pick to jump up to that spot, take him ahead of the Vikings. They don't have that pick this year, John. So I think then the question you're looking for is, you're hoping for more of a draft day fall than you are for some type of big aggressive move up. And my hope, at least, John, is that that favors kind. We've seen in the past guys have fallen to 16. Uh, for me, as far as for what I would look at, as far as for the best case scenario, I think for me I would look at it and say I think that you're hoping again that one of Horn Sertan. Smith or Waddle falls to you Waddle is maybe the most likely I think because you know he got hurt part of the year he didn't get the Heisman award like Devonta Smith did and a lot of times you know we see recency bias plays in a lot of times NFL teams will take these uh, quarterbacks who have won great year versus the guy who's been doing it for three or four we saw that in 2017 with Mitch Trubisky I think at least the best case scenario for me would be if Arizona can trade back at least a couple of spots. Say someone wants to jump up for a player ahead of the Oakland Raiders. Say that Creed Humphrey is going at 17. Some team needs a center. They jump ahead to 16. Arizona trading back and gets probably a guy who I think would go in the top 10 if not for those wide receivers this year dominating. And that would be Rashad Bateman. I think that you could probably take him. And I think that would be much less of, say, a reach pick than more of a Greg Newsome or more of um, even the likes of, I think, Tyson Campbell. And then you can take a look at round two and say, hey, round two, suddenly we now have a third round pick that's there. We could probably maneuver a bit if there's a running back that falls that we like say Travis Etienne makes it to the top of round two, suddenly you're like, oh, great, we, we've got now a third round pick from this trade. Let's see, can we go up and be able to get the likes of an Etienne or maybe even a Javante Williams? Is Najee Harris a guy who you know falls to some of the second rounds and someone likes Etienne enough? The devaluation of the running back, John, I think helps the Cardinals. And even if you're like, eh, we don't want to get the running back, you can then probably say, all right, you get your cornerback in round two, and then maybe your aggression comes from those seventh or sixth round picks to try to make a jump for um, the likes of uh, Trey Sermon, who you know be reuniting Kyler with his old teammate. But again, as we come back to this, we'll talk more about it. Until you look at the Cardinals being able to say they're going to have a top one twenty board, and until they actually make one of those different moves, you have to say they're at pick sixteen, they're at pick forty nine, and they don't pick again until pick one sixty in the fifth round, and they have the next picks at pick. 223, 243, 247, those are picks that are not guaranteed to make the roster. So if that's the case, you really have to look at Arizona having two picks and then a possible huge drop-off. That puts a lot of pressure, I think, not in filling needs, but on finding talent to join. What are some of your thoughts as we wrap up for some of this, John, about... What do we think as far as Arizona could do? Because I'm, I'm a person who's not necessarily close-minded. My whole thing, at least, is I would love to see the Cardinals be able to get a talented player who can produce sooner rather than later. And I think that's doable with pick 16 or a trade back.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I We've talked about this. I'm going to continue to harp on this. As long as they have a plan for their first-round pick where they play, and they play early because they are not good enough, to sit players year one. This is not the NBA. This is not major league baseball where you just kind of, you grow your, your prospects late and we see him in a couple years later, especially for a team that has not had uh, a playoff season since 2015. The Cardinals are not good enough to sit their first round picks. So Isaiah Simmons should have played every snap last year or, or, or damn near every snap. And so I just I get frustrated by this notion that the team slow plays their rookies like they know something. We don't like the, the rookie you're going to get in the first round, wherever you take him. And it better be a position where you need him is, is going to need to contribute next year. You're not the Green Bay Packers who can have a third turning three season and take two redshirt players in the first two rounds like Jordan Love and the running back. They, they slow played from Boston College last year. You need a player that's going to come in and contribute next year. So I am just so numb to this and especially just like the whiffs that they've had in the first round outside of Kyler Murray. I'm not considering Simmons a whiff. It's just early that like I really have no preference on on who they take. I know that they need help but corner. I know that you know, AJ green and Christian Kirk are on what equates to one year deals. And so Hopkins needs a running mate long term at receiver. I know they don't have a tight end, you know, like all of these things are, are obvious. And I, we, we, Blake and I dissect this. We know what the strengths of this draft are, but I am also like, as much as I want them to trade down and get more picks, like I'm with you, Blake, like, the third rounder, we just watched Josh Jones redshirt as a third rounder last year, just have no impact. And and we think he'll, he'll end up playing and be a good player one day, but like they got nothing from him last year. So like, there's a good chance that if you trade down, assuming you're not getting a second and who knows that second rounder may not play either. The third rounder that you get may or may not, depending on the position, play a lot next year, Vance Joseph. uh, He's got to have his hand forced at a certain position to be able to, to play them early. So I like, all this Kyle Pitts talk is crazy. And then you look at it and you're like, well, at least, you know, like he's tied in one next year. He's in the lineup. He's playing every down. They think he, you know, they think the world of him, right? They know he's a long-term building block. He's going to get a, X amount of targets next year in the passing game. Like he's going to be utilized. I think the same thing can be said for somebody like Devonte Smith. I just think Devonte Smith will walk, would walk on the Cardinals, you know, practice field and just run circles around 90% of the receiving core. I'm not convinced Jalen Waddle will do that. I'm just that high on, on Devontae Smith as the, the player and the person. I think the same thing, I think Patrick Sertain and, and JC Horn both. And I hate this term, have a, have a swagger and a confidence about their game where yes, they're not as seasoned as somebody like Malcolm Butler, but like, depending on what the court Cardinals do at the other corner spot, like I could just see Patrick saying, like, I, I played for Nick Samian. I went to Alabama. I'm, I'm one of the best players in the country. I'm going to come in and solidify this position. And I do think I'm hard on the Cardinals last year for how they slow played Isaiah Simmons' development, Blake. And I get that. <laughs> and I also feel like, yes, yeah. he had a transition that oh, sure. I think is, is probably understated nationally because of the fact that he was not an every-down linebacker at Clemson. And he played all over. And I think that that we had concerns about that coming on not that he couldn't translate but the cardinals didn't have a plan for that and they clearly didn't yeah i, I think that like you know patrick sertain and jc horn were outside corners at their respective universities like that's what they would play in 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 the nfl for arizona like the transition should be a little bit more seamless and you go back and you look at you know this administration under kime we really we don't have a ton of instances in which like you know the Arians years were so weird because they were winning, but the rookies early weren't playing, their first rounders weren't playing, Humphreys, and then like Reddick was behind Golden and Chandler Jones, and then Rosen played, but it was a disaster. I mean, it's just they've just been in weird spots, right? And so that's why I just feel like, you know, you you take a surefire contributor next year. I don't care what the position is, assuming that they're they have a plan for him, and I'll I'll feel good about it. But I just I'm just so tired of the slow playing the first rounders with Reddick and Humphreys. The Kandici thing didn't work out. You then you went back to back with quarterbacks, and then like we went back to slow playing Simmons' development. Like you're taking players in the top 16 for a reason because you're not good enough. You fell off the wagon in the second and half of the season. You won two games over the course of the last eight. You need an influx of players. I like what they've done in free agency. But there are huge gaping holes on this roster now that aren't gonna be filled with quality players in the next thirty days. We don't think. They're not gonna go out and sign the equivalent of, you know, Kyle Pitts and free agency. So I I I would applaud the aggressiveness because I just I am so numb to like Kime has not shown an ability, clearly, to sit back like a Rick Spielman or somebody like that, let the draft come to him and just make and just bat like three hundred for a draft, right? And just make quality. Uh, just you get a quality player every draft. You churn it out, maybe multiple. That's Kime. Kime generally doesn't hit on ninety percent of the players in, in a specific draft. And the player that he does typically hit on, it's like a Kirk-esque. It's like a complimentary guy. So I, you know, as much as I want them to recoup more assets, that that you just hit hit the nail on the head what good i'm going to get jacked up if they, because i love the draft if they get an extra third or fourth but that that fourth rounder is not helping next year historically that i mean the, chase edmonds is their best fourth rounder under kime and and he's just now in line to start in his fourth year so i just it's it's interesting this is this whole dynamic i mean the desperation kime that we haven't referenced in a while like it could boil over on draft night we don't know
0: Yeah, and we'll see. Like, again, when you're talking about those third and fourth rounders, your goal is to always find guys who will be like the Rodney Gunter or find someone who, like, you know, with Chase Edmonds, we've said we think that he's in a perfect role right now maybe you're getting him more snaps next year but I remember when the Cardinals took Andre Ellington and said yeah he's our lead back and suddenly then it was the you know last year of Chris Johnson and David Johnson at least were taking over just because of sometimes you got to take a guy not make him something that he's not but utilize the strengths and it is those kind of players who fill out your roster who end up being truly what makes a lot of competitive teams like you know no one talks about how important Antoine Winfield Jr. was to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers but they hit on Chris Godwin he's coming back for another year that was a third round pick that's where I think when it comes down to it what you want to see from the Cardinals is they have the competence to take this roster that's very top heavy and you've got confidence in the decision makers for the future that when you do end up likely having to pay Kyler Murray. You're able to put talent around him, especially young talent, knowing that you're not going to have that opportunity to go out and add a Rodney Hudson and J.J. Watt to your team in one offseason moving forward into the future uh we'll get into more of the kind of day two day three types of players some of our other favorites as well as talk about some of the kyman cliff in the light of the 17 game season what should some of the expectations be for this team Uh, we'll get into some of those deeper cuts at least as we move forward in the draft uh in the meantime you can at least follow us on rotb pod at revenge of the birds we're hopefully and we'll kind of take this with a grain of salt hopefully going to have at least some form of live stream or questions content that'll be available either before the draft have a test run and then kind of you know as far as for some quick reactions uh, on draft day the cardinals as of right now will only have two picks in the first two rounds outside of any sort of trade back um we'll be able to at least hopefully be there to cover all of that john where can our listeners find you as well as your content
1: yeah, of course we're here uh, every week leading up to the draft and soon after on the ROTV podcast and revengeofthebirds.com in the written form. Uh, Blake and I are going to try to do a couple more live streams uh, leading up to the draft. Uh, we uh, love having the interactive content, like I mentioned, at the, at the top of the, the pod and let us know what other avenues in, in, in which you want to absorb the, the content because we're, we're open to just about everything and, and this is... In, in my opinion one of the more exciting times of the year and that's why we want arizona to have more picks but blake where can they find your
0: content it uh, will be at blake murphy seven on twitter uh we're planning on doing a at some point a live twitter mock draft that's not going to be out at the end of this week then do look for it early next week as well thanks again for tuning in uh go cardinals this has been the revenge of the birds podcast